the lesson is that you can't use today's market to predict a future market. And that's true of cap rates for apartment buildings. That's true of uh, fix and flips and whatever. I think the mistake is to assume that things are static ever in real estate. Best ever listeners, I want to mention Lima One Capital. And I found out about them through a guest that I was interviewing on the show. And he mentioned how he was scaling his business. He was actually buying 10 single family homes within one year. And I asked him, how were you able to buy 10 single family homes and how were you financing that? He's like, oh, well, I just use an asset based lender. I was like, who is that? And he told me it's Lima One Capital. I reached out to them afterwards, got to know them, and they are the sponsor of today's episode because they've got some unique lending programs. Uh, One of them is called Rental 30, where, as I mentioned, they're an asset based lender. So they're lending based on the property's appraised value as well as they look at the down payment that you're bringing to the table and the cash reserves. Uh, They'll lend up to 75% loan to value. And this is huge. This is huge because typically as a single family investor, uh, your lending strength is based on your personal income as well as how many properties you have, how many loans you have out. There's no restrictions on portfolio size with their Rental 30 program. Go to lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. Sign up, learn more about the program. That's lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. They also have a program for fix and flippers. Even if you haven't done a fix and flip, they'll still lend to you. They've been in the business uh, since 2010. So they've been around the block. They know their underwriting guidelines. They're not loosey-goosey, but they do have a very specific uh, criteria um, that helps beginning fix and flippers get their fix and flip projects done, as well as experienced fix and flippers. They reward you as an experienced fix and flipper, and you actually get a lower interest rate and lower origination fee. Again, go to lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. And some legal stuff I have to say, it is Lima One Capital LLC. And the NMLS ID number is 1324403. And their address is 201 East McBee Avenue, Suite 300, Greenville, South Carolina, 29601. Again, lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. If you're looking for a fix and flip loan or if you're looking for a buy and hold investment property, and you're trying to finance it and you want it to be asset-based, lima1capital.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff and, well, today we're going to just live that mantra and uh, we're going to talk to Matt Faircloth, who is a experienced real estate investor and he has a sticky situation he's going to tell us about. How you doing, Matt? I'm great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great as well. And uh, best of the listeners, I didn't even wish you a happy weekend. Happy weekend. Today is Saturday. So as I mentioned, we're doing Situation Saturday. And a little bit about Matt, and then he'll get into his background a little bit in detail. And then we'll dive right into Situation Saturday. He is the co-founder of the DeRosa Group and has done more than $10 million worth of transactions using private money. He's raised... Uh, over $3 million in private money without investing in any of those deals. 
He's based in Trenton, New Jersey, and you can say hi to him and his uh, wife, who is his, the co-founder of the DeRosa Group at derosagroup.com. They've also got a really cool and informational uh, YouTube channel called Landlord Chronicles. That's going to be linked in the show notes page as well. With that being said, Matt, very, very quickly, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background, and then let's dive into Situation Saturday. Sure, sure, sure. So my wife and I bought a duplex together when we were still dating, but before that I had bought it. My first investment was a single family home that I lived in and had a couple of buddies living with me, paying me, you know, a couple of bucks a month and, um, you know, 500 per, per guy per month. And my mortgage was 940 bucks. So I was making money living there for free. And so I went from there to 10 years from now to, uh, you know, what, what I think to be a pretty sizable portfolio, a lot of private money. And there's been lots of bumps in the road and, and uh, lefts and rights and curves and, and that. And I think that uh, the space that you're providing here for people to hear uh, some some stories that uh, where, where deals got a little bit of hair on them and uh, <laughs> had a situation uh, come up, I, th- I think is great for people to learn uh, from folks like my mistakes that are, that are there because I've learned a lot from them, but I, I wouldn't uh, wish it on anyone to, to live. <laughs> through what we did on these deals so my hope is that people listen up and and learn something as opposed to having to do it too agreed my friend and that is one of the reasons i do this thing because i I, I selfishly i learn so much from people (laughs) it's just like when you read a book and it's like a biography and someone's entire life with all the insights and trials and tribulations compressed in you know a day's worth of reading if you just read it straight through and that's I, yeah. I love doing this stuff and best ever listeners if you are curious whenever I said he's raised over three million in private money he without investing any of their own money into deals well uh, hold on because you're going to hear exactly how he did that in a follow-up interview that we have with both Matt and his wife Liz where I talk to them about that. So make sure you're subscribed to the show and then in a couple weeks that interview will come out and you'll be able to hear all about that. But today we're going to have a specific focus on a sticky situation that Matt and uh, his team's been in and that is on a fix and flip that has gone awry. So with that being said, you want to tell a story on it? Sure, no problem. So uh, this fix and flip was in the town that uh, Liz and I live in in uh, in South Jersey. So I, I would I'd be driving around town, and, and it's it's you know it's you know it's the, most of the homes are nice in town. There's a few fixer uppers as there are in in every neighborhood, but this one was really bad. This one was you know boarded up and and um, you know really dilapidated, and it had nice houses all around it. So it's kind of like that ugly duckling. I would drive past. And I was like, man, somebody should do something about that house. And then, I would, then the, the next thought would come in. Then I would you know go to the gym or do whatever I was going to do. And then I would then I would drive past it again a couple weeks later and say, man, somebody should do something about that house. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to do something about that house. So I decided to. I I got the address. There was this title company that had been knocking on my door trying to get uh, business for some of our closings and stuff like that. And that I was just, you know, had met at a networking group. And I said, you know, let me have them look into it. And uh, it's funny because uh, if you pull up the property in a regular public record listing on, on um, you know, through the county's website and that kind of stuff, uh, you would see the name of, of the owner. And it was a it was a funny spelled name. And to protect the innocent, I'm, I'm not going to say the actual name. But it was, a, it was a very, very unique last name, let's say. But you couldn't find him. When you took that name, and there's a website you can go to called Zaba Search, Z-A-B-A Search. And you can type in any name, any state, and it will give you public record information on those people. When you put this name the way that it was spelled on the county's website, 
in Zaba search, nothing came up. So if you decided to do a little bit of homework, you're not going to get very far. This title company looks up the, this property and they pull the deed and the name and public record was spelled wrong, right? So on the deed was the correct spelling of the name. And so when you put that name in Zaba search, a few people came up and uh, I, I called down the list. Let me see who these people are. I call uh, a name on the list, and it's uh, this guy answers the phone. He's like 70 years old, living up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Okay, and I gave him the address, and he says, "Yeah, my grandfather used to live there." Right? Here's what ended up happening: this guy's grandfather dies in 1964. He, the the grandfather, the son of the of, of, like of of the grandfather, so this guy's dad lets his cousins move into the house in 1964. Okay. There's no lease, no nothing, no, no documentation of this, just, you know, kind of word of mouth, right? So the cousin, the cousin and his family moves in. They continue to pay the real estate tax bill from this guy that died in 1964. They live there. The son that arranged this handshake agreement dies in 1982, okay? And then, uh, then the cousin and his family continue to live there until around like 99, 2000. We bought the house in 2006, okay? They moved out of the house. Uh, the, the descendants of this cousin who had died also, not sure when he died, but he had died as well. So his descendants stayed there paying the tax and water bill made out to this guy that died in 1964. It didn't say anything to anybody because, hey, why not, right? Why, why would they say anything? You know, it's just these folks are dying off around them and letting them keep living there for free. But the problem was that things that are for free don't get kind of treated like they're for free. So they weren't maintaining the roof. They weren't maintaining the property. They were just kind of staying there and letting the property uh, dilapidate. So sometime around 99, 2000, they just moved out. Mm. And uh, those tax bills and water bills that were being paid in the name of the guy that died in 1964 all of a sudden weren't getting paid anymore. And the uh, property went into it went over to a tax lien holder, which not to get into that whole thing, but uh, an investor bought the tax liens and had begun the foreclosure process when I found it. So we ended up arranging a deal to where this guy, this guy who's like now 70 some years old up in, up in Poughkeepsie, New York, was able to make about five grand on the sale of the house to us, paying off all these tax liens and everything like that. So, hey, that's the good part of the story, Joe. But I could end it right there and we could and it wouldn't be Situation Saturday. If you just happy time, I put I put five grand in this, uh, you know, nice little windfall in, in his pocket and everything like that. So this is where <laughs> this is where the wheels begin to come off. OK, <laughs> um, you know, right right about here. The tax lien holder shows up and says, hey, wait a minute. You just bought a property that I was literally about. I mean, his foreclosure hearing was about a month away from when we closed. And he said, you guys just swooped in at the last second and bought a property that I have invested all these tax lien dollars into. And you guys came in at the last second. And, and I think that that's shady. So I'm going to sue you. Right. So he sues us. Now, he didn't have a case, but he also had a lawyer on retainer. So what he was able to do. <laughs> was to just lock me up in court and I had to lawyer up because I was an LLC because you got to have an LLC, right? Uh, so because I'm an LLC, I can't defend myself. I have to have a, I have to be defended by an attorney. So I'm getting charged $1,500 a day for this attorney to be in court up against this lien holder that, know he, that knew he was just shaking me down for buying a property before he could get to it, you know? So we ended up having to write him a check to make him go away for $12,000, right? Plus the legal fees that I had paid on top of that. So now um, we're, we're, now, we're now another, say, $16,000, $17,000 into this house than I thought I, I, I was going to be at closing. So <laughs> that's, 
that, that that's you know the, the lug nuts on the side of the mm-hmm. tires had start to had yeah. started to begin to right. So that gets solved. It's now our house. Moving on. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I know. Yay! <laughs> right. So we, we get into the we get into the house. We start to uh, you know it's it's full of stuff. It's got a player piano in there. It's got uh, bottles of whiskey from like 1960 and stuff like that. Really, really interesting stuff, which I still have some of. But uh, and it had just uh, just a bunch of garbage too. But you know some things are of value, but mostly garbage. So we get all the garbage out and we begin the process of renovating this home. First move, it's leaking throughout. We decide like you know what I got to do? I got to put a roof on. So and put how, a roof and on the how house. How much did you buy the house for? 50 grand. 50 grand. Okay, yep. cool. And what what did you think it would be worth? Once 350. 350. Okay, 50 yep. grand you thought it would be worth 350. And how much That's did right. you think you'd have to put into it? I thought, okay, it uh, needs everything. needs plumbing. needs electrical. Uh, it's a very, very dated home. My budget was about 100 grand. So Got thinking, it. So you thought – No, you, I know, right. So you I, thought you'd be in for 150 and oh, it'd be worth 350. Oh, smack it out of the park. Okay, cool. Right? All right. So this is like back. a Barry Bonds, you know, yeah. you know, Grand Slam, you know, walk-off home run, right? All right. So back um, back to the roof. <laughs> <laughs> we should be great if we could end it right here. Like, yeah. <laughs> that made all this money. and uh, So back to the roof. The mistake that I'll get to on, on all this renovation, if you want me to keep the cat in the bag, I will. But the major mistake that I made here, Joe, is I didn't get a mentor. I didn't get someone to help me. This is my first fix and flip. I don't know if I've said that or not, but this was my first fix and flip on a house. And so I know what I, you know, this is like a majorly toward, uh, you know, dilapidated property, not just a little lipstick and mascara cleanup job. This was a major reno and I didn't get help from anyone. I said, you know what? I'm just going to get my contractors in. How hard could it be? Right? Well, pretty hard. So we ended up, uh, we put the roof on, we did a bunch of demo. We, uh, did a bunch of work on the property in the inside and didn't pull permits. So we, uh, we, we, we had the town show up and jump on us about the permits on the house and everything like that and, and end up having to pay a fine on that. But, you know, got through that, made friends with the guy from the town and um, discovered that, you know, I think that there's some damage to the wood here behind these walls. So let me peel off all the sheetrock and see what's behind these walls. Where it turns out the wood framing of the house had been damaged by this roof leak from so long from this family living there and probably not doing anything about a roof leak that had been going on for years and years and years. So that had been damaging the wood from the top down, right? It was it was uh, from the second floor down to the first floor. There was some water damage throughout in the wood. That's one bad news. The other bad news is there was termites that had been working their way up on that. They're kind of oh. like the water, the water and the termites were meeting their way in the middle, <laughs> like they were just like just eating this house from the top down and from the bottom up, right? Um, and uh, and just the the wood looked like Swiss cheese from the termites, and it was all molded out and everything like that from the top down. Which, by the way, for your listeners out there, uh, one thing you want to be wary of: we couldn't, we didn't have access to this house until after closing. So these kinds of things show up for sheriff sales. You never know what's going to happen when you get into these properties you can't perform inspections on. This is one of them. So um, we had at this point, Joe, invested, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, the roof cost me ten grand by itself. All the demo and the framing, and we had begun, you know, we, we put a new foundation behind the house because we found out part of the house was sitting on dirt, which that causes termites now that I, I know that now, so that's good. Um <laughs> Learn that, learn that lesson. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, the house was so far gone that um, I had an architect come out, and he was like, "Well, you know, you could maybe just frame a new house inside of this house. Like you could literally reframe the entire home." 
here uh, and leave all this bad wood but then frame new wood right next to it. And he said, or you could just tear it down and build a whole new house. And so I said, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So we ended up just having to bite the bullet, Joe, and we tore the house down and we built a new house on top of the existing foundation, which in some states they have something called a setback, meaning mm -hmm. that's how, how far back away from the curb your property can be. Yeah. This house was built you know, probably turn of the century in the 1900s, but every, you built everything right up on the street, you know? Uh, so had, had we built off the curb, it, the house would have looked really funny and would have been back towards the back of the lot and maybe wouldn't have even fit for what I wanted to build. So the town that we were in allowed us to say, okay, if you're going to keep that foundation, we don't call it a full removal of the house. It's like a renovation, you know? Mm -hmm. You're just renovating the house because you kept the foundation. You didn't remove all of it. So we were allowed to keep the foundation and build on top of that old foundation and build way inside the setback that we would have been regulated by had we taken the foundation out, if all that's making sense. So I got to learn about setbacks too, Joe. Wow. <laughs> you know? How much would you say you had put in that house before you tore it down? Oh, we were uh, – geez. You want to throw in the legal – so we bought it for 50 right? By this point – we're probably in the neighborhood of $120,000, $130,000 when I decided to take the wrecking ball to it, when I had to. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. I can still sell it for three fifty, and uh, and that. So that that's where we were at that point. And so, how was it being financed? How were you? Where was that $120,000 coming from? Private investor. Private investor. What were those conversations like? <laughs> it was a uh, line of credit on a uh, on a family member's home. Okay, uh, they owned a home free and clear, which is something that that I've found in in seeking private investors that a lot of people own real estate. A lot more people than you think own real estate free and clear. So we had approached a, a family member that had a home free and clear, and we said, you know, why don't you put that home up as a guarantee for a business line for us? And so uh, they did. They agreed to do that, and so the home was appraised, and that and that um, business line was something that we took on our company, and the guarantor was was that home. So as long as we were good custodians with their money, they weren't in the day to day conversations about where the okay. money was going or anything like that. But I had a budget of, you know, of like originally 150 grand, and now I kept upping my budget to say, okay, well that's okay, we'll get it done for 250 thousand, yeah, and still sell it for 350, right? So that that's the long and short of it. But you know, we let them, we kept them just abreast of the situation, but they weren't in the day-to-day -day conversations about, oh, geez, you got to tear it down. Now you got to do this. You got to do mm -hmm. that. They're a family member. They trusted us. So anyway, we, um, where were we? Okay, so we the, the, wreck, the wrecking ball has now <laughs> demolished your $120,000 that you've put into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just briefly, it wasn't a wrecking ball, really. He just came out there with a tackle. <laughs> it's, and, be it's, um, it's better when I visualize a wrecking ball. I know, and I was, and I'd never seen, an, I'd never seen demo like this, and I was like, I wonder how he's gonna do it. And he showed up with the back, and I was, I kind of was hoping it'd be a wrecking ball, right? <laughs> um, he, the, the house was so far gone from these termites, and so I'm really grateful I didn't try and rehab the house and just throw it on the market and you know polish up the, you know polish up the you know what and and put it out. Because uh, when I saw how quickly this house went down, uh, it, it literally tore itself down. He just had to encourage it, you know, and, and it just <laughs> fell right over, you know, with the brain, with the ten thousand dollars in roof and everything else I put put on there in place, it just collapsed. You know, he uh, he said it, he said he had never seen a house fall that quick. Wow. Uh, so I'm grateful that we did decide to do the right thing and renovate this home the right way and and build new. Because had we given that home to somebody with all the damage inside and just say, oh, you know, put the 
sheetrock back over that termite damage and that water damage, and we'll hope somebody no, nobody notices. And maybe there's other there's other folks out there that would do that, but well, that's not us. So this house just collapsed. We turned in permits for a new home. And the uh, the, the last thing was I had a modular guy that was uh, that would have built this whole thing in a modular factory, but he was giving me a lump sum bid. And you know his lump sum bid was I will build you a modular home. For $130,000, all in, soup to nuts, finished, including appliances and everything. And I just got hung up, Joe, in that he wouldn't give me the breakdown of his numbers. He wouldn't say, you know, well, how much are you paying for a fridge? How much are you paying for a roof? How much are you paying for the delivery of the boxes and everything like that? So I chose not to go with him. Now, mm-hmm. if you do the math, what's that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had I done the math, I would have been in for 250, maybe 260 with carrying costs and everything like that. And I could have just let it go, and I would have sold and made money, right? But I said no. I let my ego get engaged. So, I, and I hope your listeners are making a list of all the mistakes I made here. You well, know, if they're not, get, I am. So don't worry. Yeah, I let my <laughs> ego get engaged. I didn't get a mentor. You know, I, I didn't begin with the end in mind. You know. Um, so we, uh, I, I ended up telling him to go pound sand, and I said, you know what, I'm going to bring in a, a, you know, my own crew, my own general contractor that I'm going to, re- I'm going to delegate to, and um, and and manage myself and have them build this house. So I got a guy in, and he ended up stick framing the house, but you know, it, it ended up going over on budget and so many different angles because I was, I tried to cut corners and it didn't work out, and I was like, ah, you know, I need to do the right thing. So. We ended up being in the house for around, give or take, about three hundred and ten, three hundred and twenty thousand bucks, mm. all in, right, with the with the the new construction and everything. So over what period um, of time? Over about a year. Oh wow. Yeah, you got care. Well, you know what else? You got carrying costs. You got architecture fees because I had to pay the architect twice. I paid the architect for one set of plans for giving me a, a renovation plan for trying to renovate this home, which we ended up not doing. And then he had to do a whole another set of plans for building me a new house. How much right? were the the architecture fees alone? Well, seven grand a piece. Is it per plan? Seven <laughs> k per plan? Yeah, man. Got it. <laughs> Fourteen thousand dollars, right? In, in in for paper for for conceptuals and stuff yep. like that. So and then you got then you got to pull permits and the permit fees in New Jersey were something or somewhere around three thousand dollars. And by the way, I'm you know for your listeners, I'm talking this is like two thousand and seven. Okay, so uh, prices have maybe not doubled, but they've gone up quite a bit since then. So we finished the house and the market was starting to get soft. This is again fast forward. This is now like two thousand you know late. Uh, like early late 07, early 08, when the market was, st- when you know it, the 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 roller coaster had crested the top of the mountain and it was on its way down the other way, right? So we we originally were thinking around a 350 sell price. I believe the sell price was somewhere. It's been a while, but somewhere in the neighborhood of about 315. So we were all in at a, at a little more than that number. So you factor out real estate commission, carrying costs, and stuff like that. We ended up losing money on the deal. Mm. But you gained a lifetime of worth of experience, didn't you? It was the. It, it was funny. A friend of mine told me a while ago it was the purchase of a lesson. The so, purchase of a lesson. The purchase of a lesson. And yeah, I don't. I don't know about a lesson. There are multiple lessons. Oh, man. Within this, make a list, right? Wow. Uh, there's quite. I but I apply those still, and I've made more. I've made multiples more than that loss. And I, and I I made right by the family member whose line of credit I had. I mean, like that. That's all been paid off and everything. I uh I I've I've made way more than that 
through applying those lessons regularly. But my hope is for your listeners <laughs> that they don't go out and, and, and get into this nightmare house like I did to, to learn those lessons, you know? Wow. Well, some of the things I've written down, uh, and excuse me for bringing this all these things up again i know <laughs> I, I i know it's it's not the best thing to hear but heck like you said you've learned from it and, and oh, applied it's... the lessons and now you're rocking and rolling but some of the things i wrote down one didn't pull permits at the beginning had the city come out had to make friends with them yep. uh, two there was a tax lien holder is there a way to mitigate that from happening if if you're doing it again where you don't have to go into you know 12k to the lien holder and do the legal stuff yeah you know had i done that had i done it over again a i would have gotten a better attorney because uh, the attorney that i had wasn't really versed in the subject and so the lesson i would throw out to your listeners is there's so many different types of lawyers make sure your lawyer fits the role you're putting them into, you know, like I wouldn't have my real estate lawyer fight a traffic ticket for me, you know, I mean, that's just not what they do, you know, uh, but, and so the guy that I had was a, uh, more like a general practice transactional, real estate transactional attorney. There are other lawyers that I met in the later in life that, that, uh, that were straight up tax lien guys that would have gone to bat. And, and maybe had the other lawyer heard this guy, heard my guy or, or woman's name, knowing that they're also a player in that in that field, right. maybe maybe would have backed off. But right. they they knew my guy was wet behind the ears, and they just steamrolled him. So, so. You make sure you use the right lawyer, not just yep. a lawyer. <laughs> right. uh, another is as you said, yeah, this was your first fix and flip. And yep. you have somebody there, local, national, who has you know a lot of experience. This is somebody there so that you can have the guidance of an expert and someone who's actively doing it to advise you along the way. You mentioned not letting your ego get involved by not going with the modular home person. Mm-hmm. Is and but I also understand your point where you want to see the cost breakdown. What was the reason why they wouldn't share with you where the costs were broken down? <clears throat> well, I, because I've learned now that it's very hard to break down modular like that. Okay. You know, there's the, the just that's just from the nature of the beast. Modulars just kind of show up from the factory on a truck and and you crane them off and set them on the house. Now he could have broken down, okay, this is what I'm paying for appliances and that kind of stuff. But for him to break down what the framing was going to cost him, what the plumbing was going to cost him, what the electrical was going to cost him, um, he didn't want to show that. And also I think that um, that he probably had a pretty good markup going on there. And I think that he didn't want to disclose that as well. Got it. Okay. And uh, (laughs) then the timing, too, kind of stunk for you because it took so long. And then you were in 2007, right before things got really soft and the sky started falling. Uh, And and that's not really a nature of your inexperience, I don't think, because a whole lot of people got caught up in that. I didn't because I just didn't have any money to invest at that time. I was just lucky enough where – the first time I had money to invest was 2009. So, well, I, here's, you know, here's the lesson I would put out there, uh, you know, because right, you never know when the bottom's going to fall out, right? It's kind of like a game of musical chairs, you know. But I think that uh, the, the lesson is that you can't use today's market to predict a future market, and that's true of cap rates for apartment buildings. That's true of uh, fix and flips and whatever. So, because this deal took so long, I couldn't use the market from when I started to say, okay, that's going to be the market in the future. So I think the mistake is 
to assume that things are static ever in real estate. You know, that, that it, it's a, it is a changing market. It is a changing marketplace. Rents change, sell prices change, cap rates change, prices for, con- for contracted work change. Everything changes. And I think that if you don't factor that in and put a just-in-case hedge in there, you could end up, you know, end up getting holding the bag um, in the, you know, when you do go to sell or rent or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, th- that reminds me, when, when we underwrite our multifamily properties and acquisitions, we always underwrite to a higher cap rate on the exit just to, you know, hedge our risk and anticipate that, hey, if the market does as good or better, then we're going to do incredibly well. But we're not anticipating that. We're going to be conservative. We're going to put a higher cap rate on the exit. And um, that way we can project, you know, something like this where the market just, you know, starts sliding and we have to sell at a higher cap rate. Certainly. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Many lessons within this conversation. And uh, you're a great storyteller, too. (laughs) I I just really, I, I really enjoyed listening. Also, I checked out Zaba Search and looked up my name and it's pretty pretty close to being right. They've got me in Don't tell your listeners your phone numbers in there. They're going to they're going to oh, I don't care. They, right. they they've got me like in it's, uh, uh, they're pulling data off of public Yeah, record. yeah, like Keith, myself up Keith, in there. They've got me tied to Keith Fairless Consulting, which I have no idea what the heck that is, but everything else is pretty accurate. So anyway, thanks so much oh. for being on the show. And is there anything else you want to mention to the best ever? I listeners? just wanted to say this is just it just maybe like a uh, that I've told myself when I'm going through you know going through hell or whatever it is through something like this that. I think that uh, the, the 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 most trouble, like uh, I guess, the uh, toughest experiences in life make great stories later. <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah. as, as funny as this is a story now, and it's like, oh geez, I can't believe, oh wow, twists and turns. It sucked going through this, but at the end of it, I can look back on it and learn the lessons and stuff like that. So that's what I tell anybody that might be going through some trials and tribulations right now is just kind of stick to it and, and just understand you're going to have a hell of a story to tell later in life. So. And what's what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? Uh, DeRosaGroup.com, uh, Bigger Pockets. I've got a profile out there, and my wife and I are both contributors to BP. Uh, we're writing articles for them, so they can find us on Bigger Pockets and also on our YouTube channel, as you were kind enough to mention, um, at uh, Landlord Chronicles. Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. Have a best ever weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Do you need more leads for your real estate business, and do you need a platform to help you get those leads? Well... Danny Johnson, previous Best Ever Guest, episode 294, has exactly the solution for you, Best Ever listeners. Go to leadpropeller.com, and that's going to help you, well, get more leads. He's got a website service that you can sign up for. It's a money-back guarantee for the first 30 days, so no risk involved leadpropeller.com. You can also click the link in the show notes page and that will take you right there.